Aviation Podcast is presented as entertainment, not flight instruction. Though some participants are certified flight instructors, their comments, opinions, and discussions of flying techniques are theirs alone. None of the co-hosts or guests on this podcast are acting as your flight instructor. Please consult your own CFI for guidance on your specific flight training, aeronautical knowledge, and aircraft operation. This is the Stuck Mike Avcast, an aviation podcast about learning to fly, living to fly, and loving to fly. Episode 78, Obtain Your Instrument Rating and Women Fly, coming up in this episode of the Stuck Mike Avcast. Now here are your co-hosts, Victoria Zyko, Sean Moody, Eric Crump, Rick Felty, and Carl Valeri. Welcome to episode 78 of the Stuck Mike Avcast. I'm joined by some incredibly delicious avgeekery and wonderful <laughs> avgeeks this evening. It's uh, Rick Felty who's wow. there laughing. Yes, I couldn't <laughs> stop. Yeah, yum. I, I, I feel yummy tonight. <laughs> Do you feel and yummy? And the Oscar goes to Carl Valeri. <laughs> yes, uh, and I am I am full of avgeekery. And you are full of avgeekery. Right, and but I'm seeing a doctor tomorrow. Yum, yummy, delicious avgeekery they're going to take out of you? <laughs> well, he's got some pills. He's got some pills? <laughs> we'll just leave it at that. And, 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 and you know the reason I'm saying that is because I just saw a cake that was in the form of an airplane, and uh, oh. I was like, mmm, yum, I want to eat an airplane now. Cool. But uh, I've made two of those. <laughs> Have Make you? one. Yeah. <laughs> Well, my name's Carl. We can do a whole podcast. Yeah, that. I want to ask: Is it a sheet cake that you carve parts out of? Uh, well, let's not go there. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh, but uh, yeah, I, I, you know, it's funny. I'm, I'll, I'll be your host tonight, but all those people here in the background are Eric Crump, Rick Felty, and Victoria Zyko. We don't have Sean Moody with us this evening. Just kicking oh. things off a little bit uh, differently this time. Just want to mix it up a bit. Uh, I, I'd like to hear from you folks out there. What's the most interesting? aviation food that you've eaten. Uh, I've seen actually uh, hot dogs that were tried to be formed into the shape of an airplane and uh, cakes, but there's probably some other things like cupcakes and things like that that I haven't heard of yet. So that's why we're the delicious and fun avgeekery here this evening. Rick, welcome to the show. Where are you this evening? Thank you. I am outside of Boston, Mass, my, my usual secret location. Your usual secret location. And the super underground secret. bunker. Yeah. The bu- yes. <laughs> Just uh, not not far from Boston uh, Airport, Boston Logan Airport, where uh, there's uh, interesting approaches that go on in and out of that place. I love flying yeah. into Boston. That is so pretty. It's fun to be in the airspace just west, which is where you tend to be. Just kind of mostly, I was just west of that because, you know, you, depending on the approach, you know, you do different things. I'm sure that's true of anyone who lives near a big city, but it's fun to be interacting slightly, even in the distance with the approaches. You know, in a big airport. That's what's kind of fun living near a big airport. And in this case, with an ocean on the other side. Yeah, so. beautiful. Yeah. And Eric, where are you you're this evening from Central Florida, I'm assuming? The amazing Central Florida. I do not have a super secret underground bunker like Rick does, um, but I am at my favorite desk with my one of my favorite views. I mean, it could be the coast, but for Central Florida, it's pretty good. Well, cool. Well, welcome. And, uh, of course, last but not least, Victoria uh, is, I'm assuming, in a wonderful spot in the woods in Maryland. That is true. I am in the woods, and I can hear all of the bugs outside. You know how they get louder and louder once it gets darker. Um, (laughs) It'll drown us out soon. 
<laughs> well, well, welcome all, and uh, welcome you, the listener, to uh, another episode of the Stuck Mike Avcast. This has been so much fun uh, bringing this to you, and uh, I wish kind of Sean Moody was here, because what's been really neat for me is uh, this is episode uh, 78, and what what I had never expected to have happened is to form some incredible uh, friendships here, uh, especially with Rick and, and Eric and Victoria and Sean. So just a quick shout out to you guys for, for just actually kind of making my life a you know, really happy and, and, and lifting it up so much. And, and I do appreciate that. So thanks, guys. I really appreciate it. And gals. Let's do the pre-flight. Moving on. Uh, quickly, real uh, just mention our sponsor. It's uh, AviationUniverse.us. And uh, those are the folks that have that wonderful shop that's uh, all aviation-related and have some really cool guests that stop by. Like they had Carlene Pettit, and they had uh, quite a few other authors that uh, go by the shop there. So if you get a chance, you go into uh, Chicago stop by aviation universe or go on the website aviationuniverse.us now entering cruise flight well let's uh, get started with the show this evening we uh, actually will have victoria start us out with something a really interesting topic and uh, something that uh, is near and dear to to our hearts because uh well it's about to be fall and we're going to be flying ifr so victoria take it away sure thing carl um recently a uh pilot just got back into flying and he heard our previous episode about what do you do when you're rusty and getting back on the saddle and he was wondering um, how people how each of us went about our instrument ticket Um, obviously that takes a lot to stay current as well Uh, I just wanted to share real quick my experience getting my instrument was probably the best Um, I've noticed Private pilot and commercial pilot are a lot alike. You're focusing on looking outside of the airplane, and you're also doing uh, more maneuvers. And what was fun and different about instrument flying is you're given a set of procedures, and it's very standardized. And if you follow each of these steps, you'll be all right. And that's what I liked about it. As long as I'm following these steps, I'll be all right. And what was nice about my instrument training was I got a nice big loan and I flew four times a week, um, sometimes three or two, depending on the weather. But uh, I flew quite often and was able to get my instrument rating in only three months. And I was very confident and enjoyed the process because it was just so different from other ratings out there. Wow. I I was going to say, as somebody who doesn't have that rating yet, that's one of the things I was going to ask, because I do know some people who've done a number of ratings very, you know, in the quick sort of keep flying method, which rather than spreading it out, which, as we know, ends up taking way longer because you lose a lot between flights. I and would, I was going to ask each of you about how that issue relates to uh, instrument. I would highly recommend doing it all at once. Um, I'm in need of an IPC, which is an instrument proficiency test that you need if it's been over six months since you've flown instruments. And I tell you, sometimes I look at the approach plates and I'm like, what does that mean again? So it's it's really easy for some of those symbols and rules to uh, blow out of your mind. So you haven't flown uh, in a while then, instruments and I I do when I'm with Bob, but it's really hard from the right seat of the plane. So I need to get back into the company plane and do it from the left seat there. Mm. So I haven't been legal for quite a while. But you you think that going through it quickly, or I should say intensely, is a much better way to do that for the instrument. I 
I, I'd have to agree with that. I think I think it really. I I recommend that from with anybody. Uh, you got a loan. I did the same thing with mine. I also got a loan. But uh, but Eric, you know what what was your experience? Well, I actually did my private at my local airport. I started flying when I was thirteen. So um, I mean, it took me forever really to get my private. But I didn't have anything else to do other than you know go to school. So you know I mowed grass and <laughs> and washed cars and paid for my private. But the, most of the remainder of my training I did when I was in college. So I did my instrument over the course of an academic semester in a collegiate aviation program. And, um, and I've got to agree with Victoria there. I mean, I didn't do it in quite the, you know, the accelerated two to three week mi- mindset, but going through it at that pace, um, I found it really useful. I'll tell you what, though, number one technique for me anyway, uh, for the instrument, because there's so much big picture visualization you have to do. For your private, like Victoria said, you know, it's it's a maneuver. You're thinking about a maneuver at a time. Whereas with instrument, you have to know where you are, but also where you're going to be in 20 minutes. And what do you have to do to get there? Um, the best thing I found when I was doing my instrument rating is backseating, observing. Um, and I did, I don't know, probably 10 or 15 hours of just flying around in the back of an airplane while somebody else was receiving instruction toward the instrument ticket just so I could visualize the approach without actually having to do it. Now, this was before we had the level of, you know, aviation training devices that we have now. Um, but that was a huge deal for me, and it's something that I recommend now uh, for my students. Um, you know, we, we actually require them to do um, at least five hours of observation toward their instrument rating as part of their training because it's it's extremely valuable to be able to visualize that big picture without being zoned into each, uh, each individual little component and getting lost or, or uh, disoriented. That takes a little bit of the pressure off, too, just to kind of think about what's going on and observe from, you know, a third-party perspective. Right, and it gives you a reason to hang out with other pilots. I mean, even if you're not in a captive audience like an academy or a, or a collegiate program or something like that, if you know other people who are going through the instrument training or even, you know, like Victoria, you said you need an IPC. If you know somebody who's going to do some instrument work, you can tag along and watch, and it sort of helps to – take a little bit of that rust off without and again you know best case scenario you're you're probably not paying anything you're probably just writing getting what i call free flight instruction um so you know i I think it's really valuable and uh, to be honest i still do it um you know it's really useful uh, to sit in on a lesson uh, just to to go through that process again i actually i maybe i'm just a sicko but i really enjoy it Well, as a CFI, what do you think the hardest part of the instrument rating is for most students? I think, well, there's probably two hardest parts. The first hardest part is when you come out of your private specifically, you know, we've taught you, you put your hands here, the airplane does this. It's a very physical skill. Not that there's no head work in the private training, but it's mostly physical flying. When you get to the instruments, it's exactly the opposite. I mean, you don't really do much with the airplane. It's all what's going on in your head and what's going to happen next and being prepared and not getting disoriented. So I think there's that first initial change where you go from mostly a physical skill to mostly a a mental skill. But then I think as you get through the training, I mean, usually the first thing you're going to do in an instrument curriculum is really zone in on those basic attitude instrument flying skills, your unusual attitudes, VOR intercepting and tracking, and you'll learn what holding is, you'll learn what DME arcing is, um, and those basic things, you know, long before you ever get to approaches. But then there's that point, when you're doing approaches individually, 
it's not so bad. What's really difficult is when you start trying to put all those pieces together and you have a departure, you enter the system, so now you're in the en route segment, then you go back into the arrival segment, then you go into the approach segment, and then the, the individual segments of the approach segment, and you just see students get progressively more and more overwhelmed. And I think that um, you know we tend to teach instrument skills in a very segmented way, and then we try to glue them all together. And that's, that's another one of those real big mind-opening moments for a student, I think. I think one thing that would be a bit of a transition to, especially if you were at a non-towered field, going into your instrument rating, there's a lot more verbal communication with um, ATC. Mm-hmm. And there's also a lot that you have to recite back. I remember that when you're cleared for the approach, repeating everything, it's a little bit more than just being cleared to land and enter downwind on this direction. And Sure. I like tell that. new instrument students, you know, have a notepad or if you're using ForeFlight, use the scratch pad, write everything down. And they look at me like I've lost my mind. And then they get one of those clearances like you're talking about and they look at me with their mouth hanging out and their tongue flapping in the wind and they don't know what to say you know and it's it is a lot but you know carry a a pen and a piece of paper and you really especially i still do it now and i've been in the instrument system for a long time you got to write that stuff down because even if you can regurgitate it back to the controller when they say it to you 20 minutes down the road when you're fighting the airplane and turbulence and who knows what else you might have forgotten one of those individual little pieces they gave you. So writing that stuff down is a huge deal. Yeah, I'd have to agree with that, Eric. As a matter of fact, to add to that, when we're at the airline, we always have to write everything down, every clearance, taxi clearances. So if you're giving a taxi clearance of, you know, turn right on alpha, left pop alpha, hold short at 2-2 right, you're going to write all that down, and then you're going to repeat it back to them. So I think, Eric, that's a that's a great idea is writing that down and, um, you know, and, and especially later on when you say, oh, what arrival was I supposed to do? Did I did I put the right one in? And then you're thinking, gosh, I don't know. Well, you can pull that thing right back up. But uh, Victoria, was that tough for you to, to do that? Did you find that difficult to at first trying to get the clearances? Actually, it wasn't that big of a deal. I've amazingly always been comfortable talking with Tower and ATC. Uh, sometimes, you know, my mouth will stumble and I'll sound silly. <laughs> but it wasn't a big issue. But I did make sure I wrote a lot down and always had, you know, a pen near me. And if there were gave me multiple things, you know, that I'd need to clarify, I wasn't afraid to ask. They are there to help you. So. And, and how about craft? I mean, did you use that as a methodology? Craft? Yeah, craft. No. C-R-A-F-T. <laughs> no, um, never heard of it. Do you use that, Eric? Um, yeah, um, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm very um, much of a... Come on. <laughs> yeah, I mean, when you're talking about writing down the clearance, the craft is, is really helpful. I think when a lot of these acronyms that we use specifically in flying in instrument conditions, you know, the, the five T's or the six T's is another great example Learning that is a great way to internalize all that information into your head. Um, unfortunately, there's a lot of times, especially when you're flying in busy airspace, where you're not going to get a, you're not going to get a clearance in the craft format. So, if you've only been taught to write things down in one way, um, well, I'm not saying it's not useful. It is useful. I'm trying to give a, a qualified answer to that question. It's a great way to learn the information, but there's you know nine times out of ten, you're not going to get every clearance in the craft format. So you're going to have to 
be able to adapt the clearance you get to that format if, if you want to use a mnemonic like that. Right. Can right. one of you clarify what yeah. craft stands for? <laughs> yeah, I was going to say we didn't we didn't actually say what yeah. craft let's, was. Let's see if I actually remember it because it's been a while. Let's see if I can do this. And if I don't, then this will be edited, right, Rick? You're going to edit it, right? You're I'm not going to let me be humiliated. He's a transponder. I got that. He is a transponder. I know that one. So the first Frequency. one is the, is the clearance fix. The R is the root. Then the altitude, the frequency, and the transponder. Is that right? That makes sense. Yeah, the, the clearance they limit, the route right? altitude, frequency, transponder. So you're cleared right. to I the... I did something right. Who knows? It, every once in a while it happens. <laughs> right. No, no, you did good. I mean, that, that's, you know, you're cleared to Lakeland Linder Airport via Victor 1, maintain 5,000. Uh, frequency, departure frequency is 118.3, squawk 1512. That would be like the, the format of that. So Right, and I... When you're getting it for you know a departure clearance, yeah, it's going to be in that order. Right. But a lot of people want to use craft for every clearance, like oh, a, holding, yeah. a holding clearance. You know, that's tough because it's not going to come at you in in a departure clearance format. You know, you'll still get a clearance limit or clearance fix, and you'll you'll get a route, and you'll get an altitude, like for holding, for example. But you're not going to get a frequency or a transponder code. Right. Well, you'll um, be staying on the same one, so you kind of just. Cut right. out those letters, and right? That's the yeah. thing. So you can either use, you know, the the same craft format, or you can try to adapt it to whatever you're doing. It's just one of those things, and it, I think we've actually talked about this before. Mnemonics are great, except when they're not. Right. And if they <laughs> if they lull you into a sense of, well, this is the only way it's going to be, and you're always expecting that it's going to come at you like that. It's just it's critical thinking and being outside the box. I mean, you can't limit yourself to this is the only way it can possibly work because it doesn't always come at you that way. Well, you know, Eric, I, I use it, and, and I, I highly recommend it for just writing your clearance when you're first getting your clearance on a departure. But oh, other yeah, than definitely. that, you're right. You, you really can't do that. Uh, yeah, I might and, have been a little bit – I might have overthought that when you asked the question, Victoria. Yeah. Sorry about that. No, no. And, and, How dare no, you? And that was – no, that was great. <laughs> Shame on me. <laughs> you know, the, it, because people are probably thinking, yeah, which clearance are we talking about? Is it a holding clearance? Is it – you know, what type of clearance are we discussing here? And, you know, expect fear of their clearance time, et cetera. You know, there's there's times – the good thing about writing everything down is is also when the controller makes a mistake – you can sit there and say, now, wait a minute. They didn't tell me what my expert further clearance time. Oh, wait a minute. Hey, what's my EFC time, guys? You know, And they'll come back to you and tell you. So I was so proud of a student the other day. I was giving him a, a sample holding clearance, and um, and he, he actually read back to me as though I was pretending to be the controller. He said, um, uh, what's my EFC time? I forgot to give it to him. I, I wasn't even testing him. I just forgot to give it to him, and he called it immediately. Um, and that's that's great. I think that's that's a huge deal. But it's not not that the controllers are trying to screw you up. They're human beings too, and they've got you know you're just one airplane. They got a bunch of other airplanes um, in at the same time. So you know it's you got to be you got to be a checks and balances system for each other. That's a very good point. And writing stuff down, you know that's it's really important. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes if you have that in your mind, what you're going to expect, it's a lot easier. Because as you do this more and more, you, you kind of have those little blocks in your mind that you fill in, and uh, and you can read it, repeat it back. But that's after, like, a lot of instrument flying. Uh, you know what they're going to say and when they're going to say it, that type of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, until you leave the country, and then it changes totally. And then everything goes down the, the, <laughs> down the toilet, the proverbial yeah. toilet. Yeah, but that's cool. Yeah, Victoria. I, th- I think this is a this is a a great topic as far as how people got their instrument rating. Um, but Eric, you know, oh, did I mention how I got mine? I don't think I did. I don't think nope. you did. Go for no, it. No. Um, 
Actually, with mine, what I did is I, I went to one of these schools, an accelerated program, where they had simulators. And Eric talked about observations, and we could actually do observations uh, in the simulators. They actually had the old frascas. Um, and, you know, back then they didn't have the, the GPS and all that, moving map, et cetera. So uh, a lot of times, you know, I started off with a link trainer. No, I'm just kidding. Um, Did airplanes even have they, wings? They, they had wings, yes, okay. yes. But they were the kind that you flapped and you jumped off the side of a mountain, you know. <laughs> they were attached to dinosaurs. <laughs> it's nice. funny. I set him up. He knocks him down. I don't even have to insult Carl anymore. I just set it up and he insults himself. I love that. So <laughs> yeah. Leonardo da Vinci, watch out! <laughs> the uh, and and you know it's funny because if you look at at the you know the the, the premises to, to the the starting of the instrument training and the simulators, we really we've come far. But in the beginning, remember they had those link trainers where you could. I've actually been in one, to be honest yeah. with you. I've actually been in a link trainer, and it was it's kind of cool because you move around. And what do we have now? We have level D simulators, uh, and it's almost the same. I know it's not. I'm going to get hate mail for that one, but it, it's it's kind of cool because you can actually feel things when you're when you're moving around. But uh, but getting back to the the training, I went to this uh, school, and it was actually across the field from where I finished my private, and the uh, and I went back to the other school to actually work. So I have to be careful what I mention because I'm still friends with the guy that owns the flight school. But we uh, we met, knocked it out. I think it was in six weeks. And while I was working full-time, I was in the computer industry back then working for uh, an insurance company programming uh, a system uh, for their, their cancel for non-pay of all things in their insurance business. And, I, and I'd come out, and I would come to the field, and I'd walk in the door, and my instructor would look at me and said, you know, Carl, we're going to make your lessons a half hour longer than most. And I looked at him and was like, well, why? Did I do something wrong? I thought I was like, am I screwing up that bad? He says, no, no, dude, you look horrible when you walk in the door. You, <laughs> you, need, you need to sit down and relax. And I guess I, I didn't know it, but I was like under such pressure at work, and I'm sure a lot of people can relate to that, is when you're trying to do things in such a rushed manner you, and, and you have a real high-stress job, you come in, and this is, your, this is what you do for fun. And, and you have to realize that you have to stop working and switch into that fun mode. And that's why we do aviation. You know, that's why we fly is to get away from from all that the real life and and that that all the other stuff from the outside, and it it takes us away to this other world. And what happened is I could see myself transforming while we were talking. And he learned that right away. He would ask me some question about flying, and I'd be like, "Oh!" And I'd start talking about. It. I would forget about work. And all of a sudden, I became a pilot, and for that, those two and a half to three hours, and it was absolutely wonderful. But um, the fact, I loved the way they did their program, and as a matter of fact, it was American Flyers. I guess I can give a shout-out to American Flyers. Uh, they put me in the simulator. They knocked out the lessons right away. I had a wonderful instructor who just stuck with me, and he wanted to go to the airlines, and he was he was like one of these mentors. He wound up becoming an attorney instead. And, uh, and bought himself an airplane, you know, he's looking at me right now saying, hmm, I'm not sure who did the right thing here, you know, at least I got an airplane. But, but he was he was so cool. He was like, you know what, Carl, you're going to do this. And he kept pushing me forward. And, 
And, uh, you know, we went through all the procedures. We had a syllabus. We had everything checked off. And we, we would go through each lesson one by one. And I said to myself, you know, when I become an instructor, I'm going to kind of follow this methodology because one of the reasons I liked it is, that, is there was no apprehension as to what we were doing for that lesson. And I knew exactly what I needed to get ready, and I had it ready. And, and I really, really liked that. I, that. Just like with yours, Victoria, I'm assuming because it was so compressed, you followed a syllabus. Is that correct? I'm making that assumption. Uh, no, you're correct. There was a, a syllabus to it, and um, it wasn't super crammed. You know, it was it was over the course of three months, but I think it was better for me versus my private because that information was retained. I didn't have to go back and relearn stuff, and I think the importance now, once you get that instrument rating, is to at least to retain that, maybe go up at least once a month and practice some of those procedures because I know I didn't do them for quite a while and it was like, this rating is useless now. Did you find you at some point, there was a point where it clicked, you know, when you were trying to do straight and level and turns and all of a sudden it all just was jiving? It was overwhelming at first because it was very different and you had to learn to trust these instruments and not sneak a peek outside and yeah eventually it did just click and you know it was probably the time that I was the most confident in all my training because you know an instrument rating is a big deal it's you know very important for weather and you know not everyone has it and I I really learned a lot and I began to trust myself more as a pilot throughout the process. So I, I was not nervous at all the day of the check ride. I walked in and I was like, I'm going to show you what I can do. So <laughs> it was great. That's awesome. And, uh, you know, it's interesting. The confidence that you build from getting that instrument is, is tremendous. Just like, you know, when you go to college, you get your, your bachelor's or so, and then, then you go get your master's. And it's almost like getting your master's degree. Um, in that you have this new level and, and this incredible amount of knowledge now that you never had before. It also, one of the things that I hear from a lot of students is that it makes them fly much more precise, even VFR, whereas they're like, eh, I'm 100 feet, 200 feet off, who cares? No, 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 they, they, they nail it, you know, after they get their instrument. And then you head out to your commercial rating, and then the instructor the whole time is like, look out the darn window. <laughs> <laughs> and they start covering the instruments on you. Yeah. And that back that, and forth. It's a it's a transition. Well, that's pretty cool. And uh, and what about Rick? Did we ever ask Rick what he's doing with his instrument rating? No, although I quickly owned up to the fact that I don't have one. Um, no, I mean I know I need to do it, and I actually think it would be really fascinating for me because I, <clears throat> you know, for me I felt a little bit like when something Eric said earlier, which was in my private training. Um, what, you know, I had to kind of get out of my head and and learn to feel what was happening. I think I was sort of too focused on the, uh, the data flow and less on the feeling it stuff. And, uh, so, you know, so for me, some of the stuff came harder because, because a lot of, there is a lot of that sort of sense sensation stuff. And I think I would, uh, having flown with a few people and, uh, helped a few, you know, just been a safety pilot for a couple of people. Um, I, I think I would have fun doing it, but I just haven't had time or, or, uh, yeah, mostly time. So, but I, and, and I also know that even when I do, I won't have time to clear a constant path. So I will just have to stay after it. Well, but Rick, I could get a you a few weeks off. Yeah. <laughs> um, you Sorry. said you know you need to do it. Why do you think you need to do it? Well, only because I think it'd make me a better pilot. And I think, and I liked, 
Uh, I remember loving the drinking from the fire hose in the, you know, in the private, uh, you know, uh, rating, Uh, you know, I just love the data flow. Um, and, and I loved soaking it all in and studying and all that. And so I think I would really get into it. In fact, I, I went ahead and committed uh, to, to getting a lot of access to data through, I don't know if it's Sporties or one of those places. And, um, and I have access to that still, all the videos, all that stuff. And I just, it just, I, other things came and, and, and sort of dropped in the way. So I don't know that it's I have to, have to, but I loved it so much that I think I want to learn more. And, and I've actually heard from everyone the thing that you guys have said, which is you're a better pilot. You know, in terms yeah, of does that, yeah. the precision of what you know, and it's a lot of what you said also about that, I can I can relate to because I remember that the same thing happens in generally in the in the same way as with your private, which is you're overwhelmed, you don't know, you don't know what you don't know, you don't know a lot of stuff, and eventually by the end you so can anticipate what's supposed to happen in that particular environment that everything that you hear everything better because you're ready for it. And the same thing I'm sure is true with repetition and, and staying after it in the instrument rating, which is, you know, familiarity with it. And all of a sudden the stuff that sounded crazy fast, um, you know, I was flying with a friend, John Wellington, uh, to, to and from Oshkosh. And, um, you know, there was stuff I, I, I just couldn't hear all the stuff he was writing down. <laughs> it was funny. I mean, it, I heard it get said, but it wasn't, it wasn't sticking. And, and, but for him, it was no big deal. And he was writing everything down. Um, so th- there's a lot to it that seems exciting. I just, I just need to uh, clear the room like I, did, like I did a couple years ago for my private and do it. I think that's what I miss right now is training. Like I can't wait to get my IPC or do my tailwheel because there's something about just the aspect of training and learning more in aviation that is sometimes more exciting than, you know, where's our hundred dollar hamburger going to be tonight? You know? Yeah. Yeah, When there's 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 a a, a goal to that, um, that feeling of knowing that you accomplish something or improving your skills. It's, it's a big deal. And there's a, there's a pride aspect to that makes you feel good about, what you're doing and gives you a reason to get back in the airplane and go fly again. I was just curious for Victoria and Carl, when you did your instrument, how much of it, if any of it, did you actually do in actual? I remember my scariest day was when I was getting closer to my rating and it was, everything was down to minimums. And before that, it was always like white puffy clouds, not too much actual. And this was rain. It was turbulence And it was the first time I had ever experienced, um, the word is just completely leaving my mind right now, when you kind of get dizzy in the airplane and disoriented. Vertigo or something. Yeah, vertigo-ish. I was trusting what I was feeling versus looking at my instruments. And all of a sudden, my instructor was like, you should probably pull up. You're in a dive. And I had no idea. I felt like I was straight and level and the turbulence and just seeing the rain hitting the um, screen outside, it just completely left my mind that I need to trust what I'm looking at inside the aircraft, not outside the aircraft. So I didn't have much actual, but that was the experience that made me think, hey, this is this is serious stuff. It's interesting yeah. about vertigo is that, you know, no matter how many hours you have, I, I've gotten vertigo at 5,000 hours. You know, it's it can happen to anybody. You're looking outside the airplane and you think you're turning and, you know, you're like, darn, I'm not turning. And you have to stop looking outside and look at your instruments and trust your instruments. So it happens yeah. to everyone, not just the, the, the new instrument pilots. Well, you yeah, and Eric are both, you both are CFIs, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah. you have to do a lot of the IFR actual in the right seat. 
do you ever have problems with like parallax error or like <laughs> trying? Because I I've flown IFR in the right seat in um, our glass air, and I tell you, it is the darndest thing. <laughs> but we're much closer to the cockpit than most aircraft say a Cessna. But like looking over, I can see out of my right eye the clouds coming at me. But and there's a little bit of a error in the instruments from that direction. How do you guys deal with that? Well, I remember when I did my double eye training, actually, when you were saying that earlier about doing um, instrument flying from the right seat, that was the first thought that went through my head. And that's, that's tough when you're starting to get used to, you know, flying in a, you know, in a, in a small airplane where you don't have your own instruments on your side of the panel, um, you know, looking across the panel and trying to fly an approach, which I did again just the other day, um, I was actually doing some recurrent training and I had forgotten how difficult it is to do that from the right seat because I don't do it all the time anymore. But yeah, there's a, that's a huge deal. It's like doing your initial CFI and figuring out how to land the airplane without being in a constant crab. You really, you have to be able to look at the instruments and interpret them and then still be able to fly the airplane. Cause you're literally flying through the air sideways because you you have your head turned the entire time. So spatial disorientation, especially at the onset is a That's real, the word I was looking threat. for. Yeah, it's it's it'll get you. It'll get <laughs> you. I actually, I caught myself during my one of the earlier flights in my double eye training. We actually went into actual, um, and my instructor, who was my chief pilot at the time, said, um, "Okay, uh, my airplane." And when he took the flight controls, he said, "Now get off of me." And I said, "What are you talking about?" And I realized that I had leaned over. I was leaning into his seat. And I had no idea. Um, that's how disoriented I had gotten. He said, no, seriously, get off of me so I can fly the airplane. Wow. Uh, and so it's one of those eye-opening moments where you realize, you know, wow. You know, I, I was actually leaning halfway over in the airplane and didn't even realize it. <laughs> you know, Eric, to, to add to that, uh, I actually had a problem going the other way because I did so much actual in the right seat as an instructor that when I actually had the instruments in front of me, I found myself actually adding that parallax error and i was like well wait a minute no i'm not off by 50 or 20 feet i'm i'm wait a minute no i'm on the altitude I'm, I'm supposed to be on and i could i just couldn't figure it out because you know when you're looking from to the side you're off by a little bit because of the mm -hmm. parallax error and uh, that that was kind of a little bit freaky when i first got to actually look at the instruments in front of me but uh, yeah, it's not you know it's it's something I guess you have to get used to after a while and just uh, be very careful. I mean I've I've had you know students get me into some interesting unusual attitudes and in the clouds and and you're sitting there like uh oh you know I got to get us out of this pretty quickly here. And my first flight um, in the my first hard instrument flight in the right seat of the King Air, I was halfway down the uh, the glide slope course inside the final approach fix and my chief pilot again said. You know you have your own instruments, right? Because <laughs> I was <laughs> I was leaned over in the King Air looking at his instruments because that's how used to doing that I was. You know you got your own stuff there in front of you. It's like oh yeah right. So, but I agree it's weird because you're used to adjusting for the air when you're sitting in the right seat and you have your own instruments and it just throws everything off. Maybe maybe with all this leaning you just need a chiropractic adjustment. Maybe I just need a <laughs> one of those back spine. braces with a you know a big metal pole that keeps me from leaning over. Huh. But uh, oh, you, you know, I didn't mention what I you know you asked about the uh, the instrument and uh, actual. I think I did about fifteen hours of actual during mine. Yeah, I did a lot of actual during my initial training, and yeah. I really thought it was useful. My wife, who's also a pilot, got her instrument rating, and she'd never 
she'd never been in the clouds. She'd never seen what it was like. She'd had a, and a lot of people do that. A lot of people get an inspiration of never actually seeing the inside of a cloud and, um, which is totally legal. Um, but you know, I really valued all that experience that I got from a whole lot of cloud time. Can I, can I tell a scary story real quick about that? Yes. The, uh, all, uh, always. <laughs> At the uh, when I first got hired with a regional airline, one of the many that I bounced around to, they uh, had a captain I was flying with. He was a Czech airman, and he had a first officer he was doing initial operating experience with. And all of a sudden, the first officer goes, "Wee, this is great!" And he looks over. He says, "Wow, you really like flying this, don't you?" And and the first officer looks at him and says, "No, no, no. This is the first time I've ever been in the clouds." So the first time in the clouds, the first officer was yep. actually on Whoa. a passenger-carrying flight doing <laughs> IOE. I was like, wow, that's that's yep. pretty scary. It's, and we're kind of almost getting to that again now. Uh, so, you know, I've always, with all my students, everybody gets actual no matter what. We go out, we find out where the cloud layer is, and that's the altitude we file for. And At if least it's not one there, of the cross-countries. If not some oh, of the yeah. instructional lessons, we'll, I'll wait if I have to. But at least one of those cross countries, we're going to do the entire thing in hard IMC, just because you you need to see that. But yeah, if, as soon as I get you to the point where you can hold the airplane upright and not get me violated by ATC, and I see clouds, we're going to go flying in the clouds. Yeah, the the only thing I didn't like, and I, I still remember this, is where I I was in the clouds. It was like at night, you know, two hundred foot overcast, and flying around New Jersey, and the and the engine coughed. And uh, I was That's like, I don't like that, you know, because then I know I'm not going to be able to find any place to land and uh, just kind of have to guess at where I'm going. But other than that, you know, it, it, and then that's a whole other topic, uh, you know, flying IFR at night, single engine, you know. In the it, mountains. Yeah. Well, with icing. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to think how many more are there. Yeah. With an alternator failure. There you go. And, and no <laughs> sleep the night before. So we could add to all this. <laughs> Yeah, th- this is a great topic. Victoria. Sounds like a fun flight. Yeah, gosh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> if it, Carl ever gets in the sim with me, that's what he's going to get. <laughs> oh, heck. I've been in the sim with you. I actually flew VFR. You that did, was cool. You did very good in a 172. <laughs> I give you a hard time, but I mean, considering that you never do it, I was stunned that you just got you're in. First of all, stunned. you're in a simulator, and second of all, you're flying an airplane that you never fly. You did really well. <laughs> Boy, Carl, I thought you were going to fly like garbage. <laughs> I was hoping, yeah. but you know, no. Actually, rest. honestly, though, I don't. I'd flown like a single engine a year and a half before that, so that wasn't wasn't totally that rusty and all. But I mean, uh, power settings and airspeeds. It was it was like you were a real pilot, Carl. I was stunned. Wow, wow. <laughs> I actually had have things that move, like you know, a yoke and everything, and rudders. That was pretty cool. Do you recall we were we were entering the traffic pattern, and Carl said, "Man, this thing is so slow." <laughs> <laughs> Yes, I do remember that. <laughs> Took forever to get around the pattern, but that was cool. That was awesome, and that's that's a good point. I mean, jumping in and doing instrument work, you know, is 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 just just the best thing I think you can do. Like Victoria, you want to get current. If you can grab a sim and do all sorts of failures, that'd be pretty cool. And I'm um, game. Another come thing, visit me, Victoria. You can come fly with me. Yeah, I'll I, be right over. <laughs> I don't know. I'm waiting for Victoria Bring to invite turbo. me over there so I can do an IPC with her. There is an open invite for you, Carl. Yay. You know you just are coming to hang out with Turbo anyway. Yes, I am. Turbo is going to come with us. And there when, you go. And when he barks, you know that I'm telling you the wrong thing. <laughs> <laughs> He's so smart. <laughs> he is smart. <laughs> hey, by the way, can I plug something, though, since we're talking about currency? 
Sure. The, I think Victoria should do this, and, and Eric and myself, I'm, I'm trying to do it myself, is uh, the FA Safety Program, uh, the WINGS program, fasafety.gov. Of course, I'm a, uh, a volunteer with the safety program. I, I think that would be a great way to get instrument current. Instead of going out and doing IPC, maybe go do a couple of those classes online, get your three ground, and then do your instrument portion which will get you current and get your IPC that way. I, I actually really like that idea, just doing the, the ground online as I have the time and then setting aside time just to do the fun part, which is flying. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and there is a thing in there I'm pretty darn sure about the IPC that that will count towards a level of the wings. It's like any uh, any. I think currency. your flight review has something similar, the mm-hmm. biannual flight review. Yes, yes. It all, it, it's, uh, you, you, can, you can use this for your, your IPC. You can use it for your flight review. It counts towards your flight review. You can do a level of wings every month if you want, and you can get a flight review every month. And I, I really encourage that. And the the program that was set up by the FAA, it, it's similar to where they, in the airlines where you're constantly uh, keeping current and doing training. Like at the airlines, I mean, it's like every month we're doing something. You know, we get something in the mail, we got to take a test, we got to go in for, you know, simulator training, that type of thing. And I, I think it's a great model to, to follow. And the cool thing there, too, with the knowledge credits, um, you, you get some choice. You get to pick the things that are applicable to you. So if you're in the mountains, you can do some, you know, some mountain flying awareness stuff. Um, but it's not just a regimented, everybody has to do these courses. There's actually a little bit of choice and you get to custom tailor the, the education that you get, which I, I like. And if it you looks go- like there's quite a bit on there. The last oh. time I went, it looked like there oh, was yeah. a wide variety. Oh, there's tons of stuff. Out and we there. use a lot of that content in our academic courses just because well, first of all, it's free. And second of all, it does, it provides so much depth of different flying aspects where, you know, we're in central Florida, so the weather's pretty much always the same. Density altitude is always pretty much the same. Um, and, uh, you know, it's great to get that extra experience from other areas of the country, other operational types. And so, yeah, I'm all about that stuff. It's good, good. And it's free. You can't beat free. Oh, yeah. I mean, free is awesome. And, you know, it's the FAA puts this together. Some of the, Actually, you can go out and use some commercial courses, and on there you'll say that it's uh, it it actually will count towards the wings program on the bottom of the course. Uh, a lot of uh, the King courses and AOPAs, uh, you can actually count it towards uh, the FAA safety and the wings program. So I really I highly encourage it, people to do it and actually go to some of the meetings uh, that are out there. They're they're a lot of fun to to attend and and you actually get to hear some some pretty good lecturers about different topics on on the you know on flying IFR VFR everything. That's a real neat program. FASafety.gov. So go check it out. So that's that's my plug of the week right there. Good plug. <laughs> All right. But, uh, well, gosh, Victoria, this has been awesome. Is there anything else uh, you wanted to add as far as the getting your instrument rating? Um, if you ever, you know, are thinking about doing it and have any questions, I'm sure anyone here would be able to talk to you and. Uh, give you some advice and let us know, uh, let you know our mistakes along the way and things we might be do different or things we, we learned and neat tricks. So, you know, the pilot community is really great. So if there's someone who has their instrument or is going through the process, I, I think they'd be happy to, to share their insight. Oh, sure. Give the people the contact information, Carl. They and can leave us comments and we can talk about it next episode. They can. They can go to stuckmikeavcast.com slash contact 
And there's many different ways to get in touch with us. Also on the Twitter, Stuck My Cavcast, and Facebook, too. We'll answer all those ways. And everybody gets those messages. So if one of us is on vacation or working, uh, someone will get back to you, which is kind of cool. And we'll get back to you as soon as we can. Uh, was that an underhanded comment about Sean not being here? Yes, Because Sean's going to listen to this episode, and he's going to know that you were making fun of him. <laughs> I just, Sean, Sean, if you're listening, Sean, I just want you to know I do not support Carl making fun of you. <laughs> So we're clear. <laughs> nice. I support everyone making fun of everyone on here. Yeah, and that's one of the <laughs> wonderful things about this here. But uh, oh, yeah. equal opportunity humiliation. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know, speaking of which, another thing that's amazing about the Stuck Mike Avcast, you can lose eighty pounds. And we're talking eighty pounds while listening to Stuck Mike Avcast, can't you, Victoria? <laughs> Yes, our, our buddy Jeff shared that wonderful news with us. He started listening to Stuck Mike, and he listens to us while running, and we're part of that that movement, that 80 pounds. So 80 congrats pounds. to him. That's really awesome. And awesome. Uh, we encourage you going on to your instrument ticket, because thanks to him, we have this topic today. Yes, yes. So, so send us $5,000. We'll show you how. To lose 80, 80 pounds listening That's to That's 5,000 each, everybody. 5,000 each. <laughs> oh, boy. That, I thought that was great. I thought that was kind of a joke, actually, when you sent me the email talking about, so far, I've lost 80 pounds. That is amazing, by the way. Nope, so that is 100% legit. That, that is I believe so cool. everything I read from our listeners. Yes, so do I. So do I. I mean, <laughs> it's, it's, that's awesome. That's well, really great. Well, gosh, Vic, this was this was cool. I'm sure I'm so glad that you brought this up. This is a, a really really neat topic, and um, uh, getting your instrument currency. As a matter of fact, uh, while we're talking about it, if you don't mind, let me let me answer a question that I put out. Uh, I think it was about three episodes ago. I never got to answer this one. Uh, talking about uh, instrument flying, since we're on that topic, I I said that you know there there's times when you have a holding pattern. Uh, in lieu of a procedure turn on an approach, well, there's times when that actually would be dangerous to to fly that holding pattern, and uh, you are yeah, a lot uh, when you're being radar vectored. Of course, you're not going to do that holding pattern in lieu of, and also if say a feeder route or any type of of intermediate fix or any type of initial fix that leads into uh, your initial approach fix, etc., that says no PT on it. You don't want to do the procedure turn. Well, here's something interesting that happened to me. I was, uh, and this is an error, and this is why you need to know what you're doing at all times. I put in the approach, but I also had an arrival into the approach. And when I put it into the, the flight management system or the GPS, it actually, I was coming from, you know, the, the approach course, Say the it's say it's to the north. I'm coming from the south, and it built the holding pattern. Well, there's no reason to do the holding pattern because I'm coming from the south. As a matter of fact, if I did the holding pattern, it would have been dangerous, and this is why. When I was inbound on the feeder route, I was at say 12,000 feet. Then, during the the transition to the approach, I descended at different steps to 10,000 feet. Well, the holding pattern itself was at 12,000, and the reason being is that at the southern end of the holding pattern, there's a mountain there. And if you actually descended to 10,000 feet and did the hold, it took you within only about 250 feet of the top of a mountain ridge. 
And uh, if you were just a little bit off on that hold, that would have been extremely dangerous. So there are times when you do not do that hold. Just because it's there doesn't mean you, you are going to do it. As a matter of fact, you shouldn't be doing it. And if you do do it, you need to let the air traffic controller know that you are going to be doing the hold, okay, in lieu of a procedure turn. So, for instance, you're being radar vectored, okay? We're in radar contact, by the way. And if you're being radar vectored and you decide you want to do the holding pattern, let air traffic control know that. Say you're way high, you need to get down to 2,000 feet, and you're at 6,000 feet. Ask the person and say, hey, listen, we want to descend within the hold. And, and that'll keep you safe as you're descending in the hold. But make sure you do let them know. And also, when it says no PT or no procedure turn, and when you're being radar vectored, for the approach, don't do that holding pattern in lieu of that procedure turn. So that was that was my little experience. I had actually, when I built this approach, it put in the holding pattern. I'm like, uh-oh, it's telling me to start turning. So I actually I actually had to do that flying thing. Goodbye, autopilot. Here I am, dun da da, and uh, and was able to save the day. So that was my that was my uh, dramatic ending to that story. What do you think, Eric? That's a fabulous lesson in automation management, actually. Um, you know, you, you did – the automation assumed you had done everything a certain way. And in reality, you had you know been given different altitudes. Um, if, you know, if the automation was um, a real pilot like you were, it would have compared those two things together and went, um, yes, I know that's what's in the procedure, but based on the – other instructions we receive, this isn't a safe thing to do. And um, you know, I think a lot of times, and you know, I loved our episode with Bill English talking about Asiana 214 because there were so many automation lessons from that 777 accident that convert so well to general aviation flying. And one of them is, you know, the obvious over-reliance on automation. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I see it all the time with instrument pilots who are kind of behind a little bit. They're a couple of steps behind. They'll load an approach, and it'll say, do you want to hold at whatever at the intersection? And they just hit enter. They, they're not even reading the screen. They're just trying to get it in the box so they can start flying again. And so, you know, they may select, maybe they select no, right? Well, they're coming from the direction where they are supposed to hold. The automation is asking, says, you know, I don't know how to fly. I'm just a computer program. What do you want me to do? And I'll tell you that. Um, I think that's it's a, it's an it's a fabulous lesson. Just because it's in the box doesn't mean it's necessarily the right or safe thing to do based on all the other factors in um, in associated with the flight. And when you're programming it, when you're programming your GPS, I know when I I started using the 430, the Garmin, I got a little bit confused uh, at times, mm-hmm. and uh, then I was like, you know, I did the old, what the heck is it doing now? <laughs> and, and honestly, that's what happened with this approach. I'm like, what is it doing now? What's it telling me to do? Why is it telling me to do that? Well, it's wrong. And uh, and you have to make that decision quickly. You know, is it really that wrong? And do I need to go around or can I continue this approach? But And that's why Cessna's at 90 knots is a, is a better time to have that conversation with yourself. Yes. <laughs> and slow down and try yeah. to figure it out. You got some time to think. And, you know, you actually sort of alluded to this before, Victoria almost said it before too if you get in one of those situations you don't know what's going on ask for a hold you know instructors tell students to do that all the time and i think students are like yeah right like i'm ever going to ask for a hold i can tell you going into some airspace in some situations there have been many times i have said i need a hold (laughs) i need one right now i need to get in a circle at a safe altitude i got to take some time to think this through 
Um, you know, you get that worst case, absolute worst case. You don't know what it's doing. You have the, you know, what's it doing now moment. Just discontinue. Let's let's wait. Let's just let's stop this. It's not working out for me. I don't know what it wants me to do. Um, let's discontinue. Give me a hold. Let me go think about this for a while. Um, and then, you know, of course, people will make the argument, well, what about when you're fuel critical and all that sort of stuff? Well, you know, that's a whole other conversation. But if you have the ability to take time, the worst mistake you can make is not taking the time. That's a very good point. And, and as a matter of fact, Victoria, did you did you get a lot of holding practice? And were you did you feel comfortable after your instrument rating to be holding? Uh, yeah, I believe the entering the hold was the hardest part for me. I think I just overthought it. Well, you know, what type of entrance is this? Is this a teardrop? Am I going direct? But once I got in the hold, I didn't find it too challenging. Right, and. You know, I, I think a lot of people are like, "Oh no, I don't want to hold." But you know, that like like Eric said, and and hopefully Rick, when you do your instrument, you know, make sure you're you have your instructor let you know that you you know give you that instrument experience with the holds and and get really super comfortable that you can do a hold anytime, anywhere, and yeah. and enter it with, within seconds and know what type of hold it is. Uh, cool. So that that would be an awesome thing to do. But, uh, well, gosh, you know, I tell you that <laughs> we, we talked quite a bit about this topic. Victoria, again, you, you have this, this awesome knack of picking these really cool topics and, and uh, getting some good feedback from our listeners. Uh, we're, we're actually running out of time here. So I had just one other thing I wanted to mention, and uh, it's also a question I wanted to put out to, to the, everybody here. And Eric and Rick and Victoria, what happened is I uh, have a person that I become became friendly with uh, working at the airline, and uh, she was the captain on a recent flight I flew, and she asked me. She says, "You know, I'm trying to figure out this, but last week I flew with my sister, and I said, like, oh, okay, that's cool.'" She goes, "No, no, no. I I was the captain, and she was the first officer." I was like, "Really?" And she says, "You know what? I think it's the first time ever, and they've been asking all over." Uh, whether it's the first time two sisters were in command of an airliner as captain and first officer. And I'm going to actually declare it is until someone can prove me otherwise. I've asked many different aviation historians, uh, gone to the Guinness Book of World Records, uh, but this happened about a week and a half ago. Uh, There was the the first airline flight with two sisters uh, piloting the aircraft. Uh, which is is pretty interesting. And, uh, you know, one of the other interesting things is, uh, you know, I was talking to the captain, and I said, well, what other interesting experiences have you had? And she looked at me, and, and you know, she's she's actually, she's a, a real, a blonde lady with blue eyes and, you know, this really attractive lady. And she said when she's out talking to the passengers, some very interesting things are told to her. She said that one of the most interesting things was that she had a passenger as as the person was walking off. Passenger looked very indignant and looked at her and said, "You know, I didn't see you the entire flight." And kept walking off the airplane. And she says, "Well, ma'am, <laughs> of course you didn't. I was flying the airplane." And she goes, "Yeah, whatever," and walks off the airplane. You know, it's like, oh my gosh, I just and and I didn't get this when she said that. I was like, "Huh? What are you talking about?" And then I, it clicked in my head, and you obviously by your laughs understood what happened there. I'm like, "Oh, she thought you were the flight attendant, not the pilot." 
and it just kind of makes it, it it shows we make certain assumptions about things and and my my actually response to that was that you know i i look a little you know you see me in person i have gray hair look a little bit older and the first thing that they'll do and it happened a lot during this trip with this lady is they'll hand me the paperwork and say here captain you know how much fuel do you want i'm like well you know i would put this much on but the captain's over here so you might want to ask her and uh and it's funny the the look on their face when they uh uh oh okay you know so we we all still make those assumptions and uh and i just thought it was it was pretty interesting that that i got to to get involved in in that uh juxtaposition of uh, and and the fact that in my mind i i never thought anything of it but i realized there are still those somewhat prejudices as far as as what we think in in the cockpit cuz we don't see you know maybe enough females flying in the airlines possibly i'm just happy for her that she's so good at customer service because i probably would have spun around on the wit engine and said oh yeah these are the new flight attendant outfits you should see my adorable co-pilot up front he's wearing a dress um i probably would have i probably would have been a little bit bitey so kudos to her for having you know the sense to just smile and nod but it's funny because i I think that's so common i think it's so common um and you know it when when i was in college obviously uh, my wife and I were dating at the time, and um, and we were in the same program. And I tell everyone she was always a much better pilot than I was. I mean, just just she could think through things in a completely different way than I could. And um, there was a guy who lived in my dorm who was also a flight student. And we were sitting out in the lobby of the dorm one time working on some kind of assignment for a class or whatever. And he walked by and laughed, and he said, "What? Are you, why are you wasting your time with this? You can't be a." like a captain at an airline or anything. And I just looked at this guy like, what planet are you from? Like, really? <laughs> What's wrong with you? Um, but um, I think that's a, it's really common. And, you know, having instructed several female pilots, flown with several female pilots, um, you know, if I got my choice, I would love to have a female crew member because there's, there's just a, it's a different, thought process i mean men and women are inherently different but you know i i think there's a there are a ton of strengths with with females in the cockpit and i think a lot of young women especially i run into this all the time they don't even think about flying as a potential career or even as a hobby i was like well that's way too complicated like no your brain is actually perfectly suited to doing this more so than mine because you can naturally multitask i have to like pretend uh, to do it. So anyway, that not to get all psychological, but I, I think that's such a common thing and it's such a complete misunderstanding about how the different genders work when it comes to different tasks in aviation. It's interesting too that in America there's just so many female pilots compared to other places. I, I was interviewing somebody from China and uh, during the conversation we were talking about uh, one of the the females that they had hired at their airline in China and she uh, and he said, "Well, you know, it's not like the U.S. where you see female pilots everywhere. This is not very common here." And I said to him, "I said, wow, that's an interesting perspective because there really aren't that many at the airlines yet. But from his perspective, there was a whole bunch compared to what they have there. They're just start make, starting to make those inroads, and uh, which is really interesting because the first 
uh, female pilot to be hired with this airline. She was also the first female pilot to be hired with an airline. I think it was in the Netherlands. Uh, and so she had been through this already and was being working as a contractor at another airline. So, I mean, th- that, that speak, that's kind of interesting. Maybe we could get her on the show sometime. That, that was pretty awesome. So the moral of the story, people, if you're listening and you, you don't actually fly and, and your friends fly, just remind them that, yes, women do fly. So that's that is the moral of the story here, and uh, you know I was I was it was pretty pretty interesting to to listen to to these stories. I, that's just one of the many stories she told me, and I'm sure that Victoria has has a few more. But uh, but that's that's the moral there. So we'll put that in there in the show notes. Women do fly, and there's lots of really good organizations out there. Right, <laughs> I'm Victoria? thinking about that, Victoria. That sounds like a really good um, topic for a Turbo the Flying Dog book. Yes, actually, oh. um, book two will cover a little bit of that. You'll awesome. find out that uh, Turbo Sidekick's having a little bit of trouble because she's a female pilot, and Turbo tells everyone, you know, my mom's a pilot, so I learned to fly, you know, because of her. So, yeah, it'll be in the book. <laughs> Good deal. It should be. Good. And, and by the way, I got my instrument rating uh, with a, a female Czech airman or a, a designated pilot examiner, and uh, she was one of the first uh, designated pilot examiners. Uh, Mine, uh, too. yeah. Yeah, a long time ago. She, well, I did mine a few years back, but pretty just interesting. Just a few. Yeah, just a few. And uh, so it was know, before the year had four digits. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Poor Carl. I get picked on so much, but I like it. <laughs> our picks of the week. Well, well uh, moving right along, we actually have gone over our hour limit here. Not that there really is a limit. We can go as long as we want. Uh, we're going to move on to our picks of the week actually let's see sean's pick of the week is i'm not here right now that's why i'm not flying <laughs> and moving on to rick felty rick what is your pick of the week so yeah the, today i stumbled up upon something that's pretty interesting and it came um through i think through social media but whatever um and it's a small film it's a, a video that's on youtube and if you uh, search the phrase um first air force one You'll find it. And there's a Facebook page called First Air Force One. And in a nutshell, what this is, is a, um, do- a little four-minute documentary about, w- by a, a group of filmmakers who want to make a full-fledged documentary about the restoration of the very first Air Force One, which I had not heard the story of in this little video uh, walks through it. And uh, so I don't know if you, any of you know what the very first Air Force One was. Uh, but I could tell you. It's, you uh, let me guess, let me guess, it's uh, Columbine. What yeah, Colum- Columbine 2. So okay. it's, it's a Lockheed Constellation, Columbine 2. And, and the video tells the story of, well, it tells how it came to be. There was a near, I think there was a near miss or a midair, near midair that involved a, uh, a flight that had President Eisenhower on it that had a fairly long um, call sign. And they realized that it would be safer uh, for everyone if the presidential plane had a designation that was easier to quickly get. And so I think that's part of that's That's my understanding from this video anyway. So that's why the plane that had been flying him around for a while was then the first one named uh, Air Force One. But subsequent to that, as planes changed out, this uh, constellation was uh, packaged up with a bunch of other constellations and sold to someone out west who was going to use them for crop dusting. And this one was the most, by the time he got a hold of it, was the most beat up. Uh, so he decided he'd, he'd use it for parts, and he left it parked uh, in the desert with a, you know, where all the other planes sort of live who, who aren't going to ever do anything else. 
And over time, some people have figured out that that plane is the plane it is. It's Eisenhower's presidential plane. It's the only presidential plane not in a, um, you know, a special like the Smithsonian or a special museum or a place where people could see it. So a bunch of people are trying to raise awareness and uh, get this um, plane restored and brought to a place where, um, where, uh, you know, where it can be, you know, seen for the historic artifact it is. So the little video is great. We'll put a link in the show notes. And it's certainly an issue that's uh, worth um, being aware of. And, um, you know, I think as aviators, it's probably something we'd all support, the idea of figuring out a way to restore this thing. And uh, the documentary wants to get made then by these people about the restoration. I actually should could say that I've reached out to them to see if they want to be on the show to talk about it. And I haven't heard yet because this all just happened today, but I hope they will because because uh, it's a cool thing. And we'll put the link to the video in the show notes. Again, if you go to YouTube uh, and search uh, First Air Force One or do that same search on Facebook, you'll get a lot more info. Sorry I rambled on, but I thought it was fascinating. Wow, that is awesome. That That's really interesting. I, I never, never knew that. And I thought Columbine was number one. So it's Columbine 2. 2, so, apparently. So what was Columbine this. 1? I don't know. Oh, okay. I mean, I, I haven't done enough studying, but they are they are working, apparently already working on the thing and, and the, getting the engines running uh, to some degree. So that process is started, but I think there, there needs to be more awareness to keep it going. So anyway. Absolutely fascinating. We could, uh, yeah, yeah, we could, we could actually have, uh, oh, what's his name? He's into constellations. He actually uh, used to own one, I guess. Uh, um, oh, who was that messed up the name on, on TV? Uh, uh, Travolta? John Travolta. We could have John Travolta step in and help out. Sure, sure. Well, we'll see. You know, who knows? Uh, but I think it's a fascinating, sounds like a fascinating story. And, uh, you know, uh, uh, what will turn out to be probably a pretty interesting documentary. So yeah. There you go. Uh, as long as he, he pronounces it right instead of like... Yeah, I, I don't know that call. we need John. He no. butcher my name. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks, Rick. That that sounds really cool. We'll have a, a link to that. I can't wait to watch it. Yeah. Um, and let's see, Victoria, what is your pick of the week? Well, um, people are probably sick of hearing about Turbo, but I'm gonna. it's kind of related to him because, you know, he's our baby. Uh, everyone uses a lot of web pages to figure out where their next $100 hamburger or a little general aviation flight will be to. And we use the same type of sites, but sometimes, you know, we like to take Turbo with us and we got to make sure the area we're going to is dog friendly. So a website I use a lot is bringfido.com. And you just click in the city you're going to and it'll list uh, friendly, dog-friendly hotels, dog-friendly restaurants, dog-friendly activities in the area. So it's especially great in the summer if you're going to a certain beach and want to see if there's dog-friendly beaches and places to uh, eat with your pet. So it's been super helpful since we've got Turbo and just another little tool you can put in your little internet backpack of research to do for your next cross country. Cool. Does that integrate with ForeFlight? <laughs> um, I have no idea. <laughs> Probably not. In, in no, Carl, here. you can't put it in the FMS. <laughs> no, like, can we plug that in? Well, automatically. That would take be so you great. There. Little paws show up on the screen. Yeah, yeah. that's cool. It's an overlay. You just click it. <laughs> mm-hmm. nice. There's the next app we can invent. You yes. know, I get commission off whoever invents that. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, I'll do that with all my free time. Yep. Uh, but I'm Go sure ahead. somebody listening has those skills, and they could do that. That would be really, really cool. Well, thanks, Victoria. That's neat. That's that's awesome. I'm I'm definitely gonna go check that out, and because uh, I have a lot of friends with dogs, and uh, we like to go try to find different places so that are pet friendly. Uh, 
Eric Crump, what is your pick of the week? Well, it seems a little self-serving, and I admit that it's self-serving. Um, but I'm really excited about it, honestly. I feel like um, I feel like Hannibal from the A-Team. I love it when a plan comes together. Um, when you're listening to this, we'll be just three days away from becoming the first um, state institution in the state of Florida to offer a four-year degree in aviation. Cool. And, um, and I'm really excited about that. I think it's an incredible opportunity. Um, not just for the college, but it's a, a huge deal for uh, students, not only in Florida, but for anybody who's looking for an opportunity for a, you know, a really brand new approach to pilot training that's, you know, cost as cost effective as flying can be. Um, and really, I think forward thinking, but again, I'm kind of biased, you know, Victoria thinks Turbo's the best dog ever, um, but you know, he's her baby. And um, I really like my kids too, but you may find them annoying. So it's, it's just kind of the way it is. I am a little bit biased. I admit it, but um, I love what I do every day. And um, I love watching the the impact that it's having um, in our area here in Central Florida, but also for, you know, people who are being impacted, you know, much further out throughout the state and throughout the country. So it's it's really, it's been really exciting. And um, it is it is self-serving, but um, if you don't mind, if you have some time, please check out Polk State College. Um and uh, what we're doing here in Central Florida. I think it's cool, and I hope you'll think it's cool too. Um, and uh, we're looking forward to enrolling our first baccalaureate students um, in just a few days. So really cool things. Very excited about it. Awesome. Awesome. That's great, Eric. It's good to hear. And uh, be excited to see that And uh, when they come out there and, and help out with the team. Yeah, I'm very excited to have you over too. Um, we'll be having our first club meetings um, through the first couple of weeks of school, and then uh, we'll have to get Coach Carl. Can we call you that? Yeah, Is you Coach can call Carl me that. Okay, <laughs> okay. We'll come up with a more adorable pet name. You know that everybody in the program, when they solo, they get assigned a call sign. Really. Uh, they don't get to pick what it is. We all pick what it oh, is. And no. They don't find out what it is until <laughs> oh, no. their first solo. So we are going to come up with a very affectionate call sign for oh, you. I just God. don't know what it is yet. I can't wait to hear this. <laughs> oh, no, Maybe no. I'll announce it on an episode of I just got my nervous. for the entire world to hear all at the same time. <laughs> oh, gosh. Well, that, that's I'll let, exciting. I'll let Victoria and Rick and Sean choose what your call sign should be. That's that's. Perfect. Wow. Oh boy, this is and not we'll going to be good. We'll have to see if we can get a hold of Len for some support on that one too. He probably has some good ideas. <laughs> I agree. With that. Oh gosh. Well, I'm excited and and uh, excited for Polk State and uh, excited to be the coach of the flight team. Now that we have an airplane, I think that's a, a key key ingredient. It's yeah, on its having way. an airplane is kind of important. Yes, yes. And uh, I'm just uh, it's this is a great great bunch of folks there at Polk State, including Eric and. Oh. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I really, it's one of those jobs, and I know, Carl, we, we make fun of, of our jobs all the time, but it, you know, I wake up every day, and I'm like, sweet, I get to go to work again. Um, and there's not a lot of jobs that you can say that about. And so I'm I'm very lucky to have the support that I have there, to have the kind of students that we have there, and the really awesome people who do this for a career, like Carl, who want to give back. So it's it's cool all around. Very yeah, excited. That's awesome. You know, Eric, the that kind of leads into to my pick of the week. Sometimes I forget, to, you know, about the wonder of flight and the things that we do every day. And and you know, I one of the, my favorite things about my job isn't actually the flying; it's the fact that I get to share flying with people. And one of my favorite places to fly to is Disney, because that's where all the magic happens. And when people come on the airplane, I can't tell you how many come up to the cockpit. 
and it's their the parents the grandparents the kids we let them come in the cockpit and sit in the the seat and fly the airplane i show them where you know the quote-unquote joystick is i let them move the thrust levers and and they just get a, a big kick out of it and you know there was a, a new video that came out it was actually a trailer for a new uh film that's going to be next year in 2015 it's going to be released and it's called aviation the invisible highway you know, we, we really take for granted what we do. Even when we're flying uh, our own airplanes, we take for granted that, that this truly is magical, uh, what we're doing. And this trailer, I've watched it so many times and has so many amazing uh, shots of, of the aviation and the world that we fly in and the ability to fly from point A to point B. We take it for granted, but this gives you a different perspective and, and gives you a new appreciation of what it is we do and and I'll tell you just my favorite part of the video is actually the part where the person comes off the airplane and and greets their child and you know that is probably one of the most satisfying things I get uh, to see when I'm actually at work is I'll walk up into the terminal and I connect people's children their families their loved ones and uh, and I take them to places all over the world and uh, that that's uh, that's a lot of gratification, and and you take them there safely. Uh, you may never get a thank you, but you you do get to see the smiles on their faces, and sometimes tears of uh, you know joy, sometimes tears of sorrow, sometimes uh, tears that they're leaving their loved ones behind. But but it's all so magical, and it's just neat to see the the kids look up on the airplane. And and I noticed when I was watching this trailer, aviation, the invisible highway dot com. I, I felt that way. I started saying to myself, wow, that's pretty cool, and I get to do that. And there's a really cool shot in there, the, the plane I fly uh, landing, which I, th I thought was really neat. So check it out. The the actual It's going to be narrated by Harrison Ford, and Rick Felty's going to help me pronounce the name <laughs> of— Yeah, it's, a, it's Brian Terwilliger, who um, did 1-6 right and 1-6 left. 1-6 right. Yeah, there was a 1-6 right? left, too. I don't know if you okay. knew that. Whatever. Both. I'll look it up. <laughs> no, no. What I mean, it is one six, though, right? Yes, I'm looking. Yeah, that so up right the right, it's one six right, and the one six left. If you can never get a, your hands on that, is the making of one six right. Oh. I highly recommend that one. Oh, it's on. Cool. It's there's a DVD. Yeah. Awesome. Um, but that same person's doing this one, and it looks just as good. If you love that movie, it, this is visually going to be the same kind of feast for the eyes, which is very cool. Amazing cinematography. Amazing. Yep. So, uh, Aviation the Visible Highway will have that as a link. The After Landing Checklist. So, anyway, I think that's it for the, the picks of the week. Uh, that, that was a, a kind of a, a great discussion there uh, about uh, getting your instrument rating. We'd love to hear from you and find out, you know, what you did for your instrument rating. Or say you have something that you accomplished, you know, let us know. We'll, we'll give you a quick shout-out here if you want to shout-out to somebody else that uh, accomplished something in their life that uh, is aviation-related. Uh, yeah. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about it here. If you have questions about anything here, like we said, if you have any uh, technical questions, just go to stuckmikeavcast.com and slash contact and write us. Go to the Twitter, go, uh, and you'll find all of our contacts. If you want to contact us individually, if you want to contact Eric, uh, Victoria, Rick, Sean, anybody can contest, contact us directly there. Well, folks, we really appreciate you listening tonight, and uh, this has been a lot of fun. Love doing it, and uh, I really love hearing from you. And, and, hey, you know, check out that video that I just talked about, because it really does. It keeps the dream alive. And remember, women do fly. We'll talk to you next episode. You've been listening to the Stuck Mike Abcast. 
Members of the Stock Mike Avcast may receive compensation for products or services mentioned during the podcast. Compensation may be received in the form of, but not limited to, referral commissions, free products or service trials. Our opinions and views are never influenced by any compensation, and you should always perform your own due diligence before purchasing any products or services mentioned during the show. The Stuck Mike Avcast is an aviation podcast and a Valeri Aviation Corporation production.